this particular subject that I'm speaking about today, I cannot, I cannot emphasize how many questions you get about this. How often we receive phone calls and how often we receive texts and, and how often we have people going through these particular issues about divorce, about remarriage, all of those kinds of things. I, I think it's, it's necessary to try to give as clear uh, a picture uh, that we possibly can out of this text. It's the text that I was, uh, I'm planning on doing for today. But I want you to see it in the context and then try to expand it into even Old Testament and, and so that you can see what God's plan was. It's interesting, last night when I was teaching the premarital class, uh, somebody asked me, did God plan for polygamy? Do you think he did? I, I don't think he did. You don't see that anywhere in the scriptures that he did. Do you think God planned for divorce? I, I don't think he planned for divorce. But there is certainly enough written about it, said about it in the Old Testament and the New Testament for us to be able to dig in and, and get... a a flavor of it, get an understanding of it. Uh, I think it's important for the Christian who wants to get married and they're thinking of marrying somebody who does have a divorce. Can I marry them? When, when I first got saved uh, 39 years ago now, there was a, a verboten, you didn't go anywhere near somebody who was divorced. You, you can't do that. Well, I, I think the scriptures aren't exactly saying that, but we'll get to it and we'll talk about it. So friends, we're here, and uh, it's not Friday night, it's not Saturday morning when I'm talking to the premarital class, because these folks are all excited about getting married. Uh, So I know that all of you are excited for being married. All of you that would like to get married are thinking about those things. There's nobody in here that can't wait to get out of their marriage. Marriage is a covenant, folks. That's what you first have to see. It's a covenant. Uh, It's something that uh, you make a plan to do and stay in. Uh, When I was in sales, I I did contract sales. It's like writing a contract. You write a contract, you say, I'm going to do this, and then you better do it. And uh, if you don't do it, you get penalized. At least that's what happened in the contract sales business. Marriage is a covenant of companionship, though. It's saying, I want to be a companion with this person for the rest of my life and her life or his life. That's what it is. It's two people coming together and saying that they want a covenant of companionship. This covenant of companionship we learn from Scripture was inaugurated by God. And we see that in Genesis chapter 2. God saw the man and he says, it's the alone. Could you imagine men being alone? I mean, they can't find Trader Joe's. So how could they be alone? It's not good for man to be alone. He needs a helper that's suitable for him. God then created the companion. Perfect in all ways for that man. Innocent in all ways for that man. He formed the woman out of the rib that was taken out of the side of man. See that in Genesis 2.22. And this I want to emphasize, okay, God created one man and one woman. That's all he did. One man, one woman. Not multiple identities. Not trans identities. Okay, send me to jail. I don't care. That is utter foolishness. Utter foolishness. That people would say that, well, today I identify as a six foot four um, Japanese woman. No, come on. They don't even come six foot four. (laughs) 
Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. God said in Genesis 2.24, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's what God said when he put them together. They become one flesh. And, and there's a lot of implications for that because the, the marriage, or I should say the, the, the parents that are there, are no longer over that man or woman. They're, they've left them, and they now form their own. It, it's like uh, Wayne Mack used it as a, a new plant coming up. It's not the same plant, but it's a brand new plant that comes up and a new household. God puts a man and a woman together, puts them together in marriage. And, and, it, and I say generally in every wedding that I do, and let no man put asunder. That's out of Mark chapter 10. No man should be getting in the way or uh, in instigating some kind of a divorce. And, and folks, I've been here long enough to hear parents say, oh, he doesn't deserve you to their daughter. Give me a break. I'm sorry. Don't, don't say that because you're then instigating a divorce. You need to go somewhere else. God puts this man and the woman together. And a divorce that is spoken of in the text that we have here before us today is a repudiation and breaking of that covenant agreement. It's the end of that covenant. Both parties are, have promised to provide to one another in all of its ramifications to one another and only to one another, not to someone else. Not a, not a fancy, uh, I, I need to go off and t- speak to this person here and start another relationship. No, it's with one another. When Jesus addresses the Jewish folks here that are on the side of the mount here, and we're looking at this, the Sermon on the Mount, you can turn there to um, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. He's speaking to these Jewish people. They're all the, from the same background. They have all the same understanding. He is going to bring clarity to this issue of divorce. That's what he's going to do. He's going to bring clarity to this issue of divorce. First, Jesus refers back to the certificate of divorce. You know, maybe of divorce that the Jewish people were told that they needed to give to the other person. Matthew chapter 5, verse 31, it is, was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. The word for divorce here means to cut off. It means to end that relationship. It's over. The idea with this use of this word is that there is a broken relationship and, and, and there's an ending to it. Another thing to remember is that when God instituted marriage, divorce was not provided for as an option. You don't see that anywhere in Genesis where God said, well, if you don't like one another, you know, you can, you can do this. No, he never said that. He never made a provision for that. It doesn't change, folks. Malachi 2.16, God hates divorce. I know because I've talked to you about some of those things. But God still hates divorce. That's, there's, we cannot get around it. That's what he says in the text. And, and we're going to get to that, and we'll try to explain all of that. God hates divorce because it involves something. 
It involves unfaithfulness. God hates unfaithfulness. God is angry at unfaithfulness every day. He's angry at that. But that's what the the divorce does. This solemn covenant that was made by the man and the woman, by these two partners that are, are coming together, a man and a woman, they've entered into that covenant before him. When I do a wedding, I'm I'm saying, yes, we have these people here in the audience. But you know what? God is here, and he knows what you're saying in this marriage. And you need to stick with it. Now, I said all of that, and I've taught on this at the Shepherds Conference years ago. And when I was asked to speak on divorce and remarriage at the Shepherds Conference years ago, I knew there would be lots of different opinions so I pulled out all the stops, went out, and I got six, seven different books. One of the books that stood out for me was uh, Divorce and Remarriage, Four Christian Views. Now, I thought about it for a little while. How can there be four? There can only be one. Uh, there, there's only one right one. The rest of them, are, the implications are that one of them's got to be wrong because there's only one right way, and it's God's way, and, and I I pray that this is what we understand here today. So there's four Christian views. Wayne House was the one who edited that book and um, gives different perspectives, different things to think about as, as in the Christian church. That's a wider Christian church. There are four perspectives. The first one is this, no divorce, no remarriage. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Uh, I've heard men say that that's what it is. When I actually taught this, I was in the gymnasium, packed house. That was one of the first questions. He, he said, no divorce, no remarriage. The people who propone, uh, the proponents of that, uh, one of the ones at that time was Charles Ryrie. You've heard of the Ryrie Study Bible. Yeah, Charles Ryrie was divorced. Another one was Bill Gothard. He never got married. <laughs> How, I'm, they're, they're putting their perspective on these things and saying that this is the way it needs to be, and they are not even married. The next one, um, I, and just to give you a, a little bit of an insight, they believe that divorce and remarriage are not possible. Not indissoluble. Uh, since it's a covenant relationship and it's forever and it only happens when the partner dies, that that covenant relationship is over. You can find that in Romans chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. It talks about the partner dying, then you're free to do whatever about getting married. That's the only time. So that's number one. Number two, divorce in some cases, but no remarriage. Um. Men like John Stott, and I have lots of respect for John Stott. John Stott is now in heaven. I believe he's a, he's a believer. He's in heaven. He says, uh, you, you can't do that. He says, it's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and you cannot get um, uh, remarried. Now, you may be shocked that this one was John Piper also is in this view. John Piper wrote a paper back in July 21st, 1986. Seven reasons why... There's divorce in some cases, but no remarriage. Gave all of these reasons. He then took them and presented them to his elders, and the elders of his church, Bethlehem, rejected it. The elders of his own church rejected it. I I don't know that there's really a difference between the first and the second. 
Um, I think you can put the two of those views together. There's no remarriage, basically. Now, there's a third view. The third view is this, divorce and remarriage in a wide uh, number of circumstances, all kinds of things. This is held by gads of people in this day and age. More and more Christian churches are buying into that. You can get married, you can get divorced and remarried, doesn't matter. One man, his name is Larry Richards, said this, it's always sin, but God forgives. I, that's a light view of sin, don't you? I think, I mean, point of view, it's a light view of sin. Ah, it's sin, but God will forgive. Um, James Dobson, a name that we uh, know, and I wouldn't consider him necessarily a liberal, but his thinking through his psychology, and remember, he says, I am not a pastor, and I am not, uh, um, what else? Yeah, I'm not a pastor. That's what he says. We've got to remember that. And he says, in cases of abuse, okay, James, please tell us what are those cases of abuse? Emotional abuse, verbal abuse, financial abuse, and of course, physical abuse. And, and folks, we can deal with that physical abuse, and we do deal with that on occasion here at Grace Church. It's not allowable. Um, Elders will confront the man. If the man is not a believer, he's not, then he'll be confronted by LAPD. I mean, really. I mean, that's what we're going to call him up right away. Come, you know, get this guy out of here kind of thing. So that's how that is dealt with. And then pragmatic churches. I came on, I came on staff in 1989. I think somewhere around 1990, 1991, a man comes to me and says, a pastor, I want my wife back. And I said, oh, that's a great deal. Where is she? She said, He's over, she's over at this other church, okay? I want to point in the direction of where they are, but I'm not telling you the church. It's over at this other church. And uh, uh, she's, she's there, and I'm here, but she won't listen to me anymore. She won't come back. What do I do? I said, oh, I'll call the church. You know, I'm young and dumb. I mean, I've not had experience. And I call that church and I say, hey, pastor, the so-and-so is in your church and he wants to have his wife back. He says, that's what he said to me. We don't do that. And so my answer was, so you don't shepherd your people? <laughs> he got angry with me. I can't believe it. He got angry with me. He did not want to get involved. That's a pragmatic church, folks. It is tough work. It is ugly work. It's hard work. But you have to do it. And they were unwilling to do it. And so I, I said to the man, I said, I, I, I can't go any further. The pastor there will not. I mean, I even tried calling the woman. And she wouldn't receive the phone call. She wouldn't call back. All of that kind of stuff. Because I could see that the man was wanting to be in that relationship with his wife. That's my experience. The fourth, divorcing marriage in very limited circumstances. Uh, the folks that believe in that is a church named Grace Community Church, Sun Valley, California. John MacArthur, and you may have heard of him. Jay Adams, before he went to be with the Lord, believed that. He had a little nuance to it, and we'll talk about that later if we have a chance. And Reformed theologians uh, in particular, did believe that there was divorce in limited circumstances. And where did they get that? 
Well, first of all, from um, Matthew, not this particular passage, but Matthew 19.9, where it talks about um, unrepentant sexual sin. One of the partners, one of the spouses is, is involved in unrepentant sexual sin. Uh, and um, <laughs> it's not of the nature where the person's looking at pornography. I'm going to leave it at that, the particular details of it. But it's unrepentant sexual sin with a, a, a person and other things. And then also 1 Corinthians 7.15. If the unbeliever leaves... Let them leave. You, 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 when you speak, when Paul's speaking to the Corinthians, do you know how many marriages they had? An average number of marriages each man had was seven. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the society was such that you know you just got one. Oh, no, oh, I don't like that one. Let me get another one. I mean, it's like fishing, you know. But if the unbeliever leaves, you can let them leave. You see, one party forsakes his or her covenant obligation in this situation, and the other is unable to keep them. And I've got to tell you, folks, I have worked with, with uh, folks in this church that have tried to keep those covenants going and, and, and worked and, and stayed in the relationship and kept getting rejected and kept getting rejected and kept getting rejected uh, and not able to have a relationship with them. And uh, elders get together, not all of them, but two or three or four get together, and we discuss it and say, okay, we think that person's free to divorce them because the other person has really gone from the marriage. They're really not there. They could be in the same building, but they could be gone from the marriage because of maybe drugs, because of uh, other things that distract them. Who knows? In those cases, that person, the innocent person, is free and permitted to remarry. Here's something from the elders' perspective uh, that Grace Church had written up many, many, many years ago, and I'm just going to use it for this particular point here. It's, quote, and this is from the elders, Divorce in the Scriptures is permitted as nation, as an accommodation to man's sin for the protection of the faithful partner by releasing him or her from the oppressive bondage of covenant duties that he or she cannot fulfill. It's an accommodation to that sin that's out there. So, divorce in the scriptures is permitted. Only because of man's sin, though. Divorce is a concession to man's sin. It is not part of God's plan. Not in the least is it part of God's plan. He originally didn't have that as, as his plan. You know, get married, get divorced, get married, get divorced. And, and I got to tell you, folks, one of the most important places for us, right reason. Because you could be in this thing for the wrong reason and as a multitude of wrong reasons. But that's where the elders need to pay that attention is to not allow that to happen because you want to protect them. I, and I've done that with a, with a friend of mine. I, I mean, he over and over wanted me to marry this them. I, I said, no, I, I'm, I can't do it. I can't do it. I don't see that this is the right thing for you to do. He then made an offer. Uh, take you and your wife to Hawaii for a week. And we'll pay for everything. I stayed here. You folks are so much more fun. Why, why would I do that if I didn't agree with it? My conscience would be assaulting me. My conscience would be assaulting me. 
And so we didn't do that. He didn't listen, and he's now paid the price. He's now paid the price. Would you turn with me to Deuteronomy 24? This is where Jesus gets this uh, call or this uh, regulation. Well, let's call it that, a regulation, um, which is not Scripture here. It says the law of divorce in my, as a heading, okay? And it says in Deuteronomy 24, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and then it happens that he finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house, and she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. And if the latter husband turns against her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, or if the latter husband dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away is not allowed to take her again to be his wife since she has been defiled. For that, it is an abomination before the Lord and you shall not bring sin. There's a lot in here and some of it we're not going to necessarily deal with. I just want to deal with the essential part of what God uh, is saying here in the scriptures and what Jesus is trying to get across to that crowd on the mountainside. Here we find divorce. It is not condemned. This would have been an easy place for God to say no. He didn't say that. He he says thou shalt not kill. We see that. Thou shalt not commit adultery. We see that. But he doesn't say you cannot get divorced. What he does do here, he regulates it. He regulates it. He gives a, a, a way to do it. Okay? In this passage, it is viewed... <clears throat> the <clears throat> excuse me in this passage the um divorce is seen as a fate to complete that's all i know in french it's it's going to happen okay it's uh, in any way over which moses exercises regulation okay not forbidding but regulation of the divorce At the same time, this does not imply that God blinks at divorce. Please understand that. I will say that over and over again. Malachi 2.16, God hates divorce. Can I also put something in here at the same time? Divorce damages families incredibly. My brother is divorced. Not my blood brother. He's not a Christian it's it's a brought in damages to the family that you can't believe. My sister was divorced. Same thing. It brought some terrible, terrible consequences for the family, the kids and everything else. It's just ugly. Moses is regulating it. God is regulating it. This regulation by Moses accomplished two things, and this is important, but I need to clear my throat. This regulation by Moses accomplished two things. First, it protected the divorced woman. Protected the divorced woman by giving her a clear pathway to remarry. She now has this certificate of dismissal, the cutting away, whatever you want to call it, from her husband. And she has that, and she can present that to another man if he says, can I marry you? And she says, yes, you can. This is what I have. I was 
put out by this last man. And by the way, on that certificate, he has to put the reasons. Second, it made men think twice. Four verses made men think twice. Why? Because as he's dismissing his wife, he's also saying at the same time, she's free to get married to someone else. But if she does, I can't remarry her. Automatically, I will be condemned by God. I will be committing adultery on a regular basis. So he cannot remarry her in that situation because he sent her away. Now, I am going to say this, but at the same time, uh, I'm going to say that it's not always correct. There is no clear command necessarily in the scriptures to divorce except for one situation. That situation is in the book of Ezra, some in the book of Nehemiah. The men had intermarried with Aria. They weren't Jewish, and they were intermarrying with them. Josiah gets up and he reads the scriptures and he says, oh, we can't do that. And the Lord speaks to him and says, have those men divorce all those women. And so there was wholesale divorce. Why? Because the Jewish nation would be impure. And God didn't want that. He wanted a pure race because where the Savior the, 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 uh, of the world was going to come from them. And so he then told them, go and divorce all those women. <clears throat> In Deuteronomy, Moses just mentions the process. That's all he's doing here. He's mentioning the process. He writes her a bill of divorce. Now the question is, Why? Why? You read that passage there, and you, and you see in verse 1, it says, um, indecency in her. What in the world does that mean? What in the world does that mean? Well, go back to the Hebrew, which I don't like to do very often because it's a backwards. You always go backwards. Only a couple of you got it. And that word means nakedness of a thing. Erwath the bar is the two words, the two Hebrew words there. Literally means a matter of nakedness. It's something indecent, something shameful, something that is unacceptable, whatever it is. It's some indecency of some kind which you don't get from the text. You can't exactly find out what it is. It seems to mean something that is indecent, disgusting, and repulsive. This limits the reasons a man could send his wife away. Because she burnt the bagels. It wasn't because the locks weren't um, uh, fresh. You, you had to have a good reason. John Murray, uh, excellent writer, said this, There is no evidence to show that Erwath the Bar refers to adultery or an act of sexual sin. We may conclude that Erwath the Bar means some indecency or impropriety. They, they, again, they're still struggling to try to get to the root of what it is. The, the bill of divorce meant there is made uh, this act of formal in nature because the bill... Uh, had to have reasons on that bill of divorcement. They had to write on that piece of paper, this is why I am divorcing her. 
It's not, and I've seen divorce papers, folks. It's not irreconcilable Irreconcilable differences. What in the world? You know what? We have all kinds of differences. She's male. Uh, she, she's female. I'm male. And, and we come from back, different backgrounds. You have all kinds of differences. Irreconcilable differences. That is ridiculous. If it were devo- adultery, folks, this is what would happen. The woman would be stoned. You see that in John 8 where Jesus is dealing with that. But nevertheless, it would be stoned. And now you say, oh boy, they are really against the the women there. No, in Leviticus chapter 20, both of them could be stoned. And folks, they actually did carry out stoning. They did carry it out. Not all the time, but they did carry it out. Some of you may say that since God hates divorce... It, it, it cannot happen ever that anywhere at any time if God hates divorce, then he doesn't want that to happen. Well, can I tell you something, folks? God divorced. Yeah. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 3. God divorced Israel. How in the world could he do that? So Jeremiah chapter 3. Verse 1, God says, If a husband divorces his wife and she goes from him and belongs to another man, will he still return to her? Will not that land be completely polluted? But you, speaking to Israel, are a harlot with many lovers. Yet you turn to me, declares the Lord. How many times do we see in the Old Testament, if you're a faithful reader of the Old Testament, they keep calling him back, keeps calling him back. Yet they go and they, you know, pollute themselves with the harlots of, uh, uh, of the uh, gods that were in the area. But look at verse 6. Then the Lord said to me, this is uh, Jeremiah 3, 6, said to me in the days of Josiah the king, have you seen what faithless Israel did? She went up on the high hill and under every green tree, and she was a harlot there. And what it's pointing to, folks, is the worship of these other gods. You know, take a piece of wood, and you form it into a god. You take the extra wood, you put it in your fire, and you make yourself some bread. That's what they did, and they worshiped those things. Verse 7, I thought after she had done all these things, she would return to me. You would see the foolishness there. But she did not return and her treacherous sister, Judah, saw it. Now it's being carried over to you know, nations, and, and now it's carried over. And I saw that for all the adulteries of faithless Israel, I had sent her away and given her a writ of divorce, yet her treacherous sister, Judah, did not fear, but she went and was a harlot also. Folks, that unfaithfulness of Israel is now beginning to pollute Judah. And God doesn't like it. So what does he do? He gives a writ of divorce to Israel saying, you are no longer mine. Why do you think they're called the lost tribes? I, I, I do believe that has something to do with it. I, do, I believe that has something to do with it. Because of the lightness of her harlotry, she polluted the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. Yet, in spite of all this, 
her treacherous sister Jew to me with all her heart, but rather in deception, declares the Lord. You can see why uh, Israel was put on the back burner for a, a time being. All of this unfaithfulness going to after these other gods, Israel was divorced by God for her adulteries. It became a metaphor of God's divorce of Israel. They kept going after these false gods, visiting them and worshiping them, all of these kinds of things. So what do we learn? First of all, it is not always sin to be involved with a divorce. When I first came to Grace Church and here for a little while and they started the seminary, there was a time being where they had men who had divorce in their background coming into the seminary. I'm going to tell you, there's a little bit of history here. It's a, it goes back and forth. And uh, they, they allowed these men to come into the seminary because their divorce got saved. So in my book, that's okay. Well, these men then graduated. And they're going to go out and get a church. One man for five years tried to get a church. Rejected. Rejected. Why? Because he had a divorce in his background. And they didn't want a pastor who had a divorce in his background. You've got to be kidding me. I even had one of my friends from the early years become a Presbyterian so he could actually still preach um, because he wanted to do that. I mean, that's, you know, it's what he went to seminary for. He gave up everything to go to seminary and then everybody rejects him, rejects him. That's what the church was uh, 35, 40 years ago. The church, I don't think, I think it's more mature now and they understand those things. I'm not sure. It is not always sin to be involved in a divorce, folks. I don't look down at anybody because they have had a divorce. There is the idea of the innocent party. And sometimes you can't do anything about it. This person you know, goes out and starts uh, seeking other flesh or whatever it is. That, that happens. They can't, then that person who's innocent can get a divorce. We see that because God was involved with a divorce. A divorce of Israel. So it's not always a divorce. I, I think uh, Jeremiah 3.8 is pretty clear. I saw that for all the adulteries of faithless Israel, I had sent her away and given her a root of divorce. So involved in and initiating a divorce are sometimes actually encouraged. Encouraged because of unrepentant sexual sin. When that person that you're trying to be married to, uh, and they go out and they do this changing, they're not changing. And folks, at the same time, um, I'll tell you this story, I think it was 25, maybe 30 years ago now, a man knocks on my door, my office is in the chapel. And I know the man, he comes in, he sits down, he says, my wife left me. She's now living with somebody else. They're both members of Grace Church. And so uh, I asked, I'm going to name him Hosea. You'll get the reason why. Hosea, why, why, what happened? And he told me, he says, you know, they didn't always get along, but, you know, he's been working at it and da-da-da, but she just got tired and she left. She goes, and I, I said, well, I, I got to get a phone number or something. Uh, that was before we had texts. That was before we had cell phones. Yeah, I had to dial the phone, you know. <laughs> I, I Finally, she gets back to me after many, many phone calls. I'm, I mean, I'm just calling the place where she was staying. 
with that guy. And she uh, says, no, I'm not interested. And I said, but, but what you're doing is utterly sinful. She said, I know, I'm liking it. Whoa. Uh, a couple of weeks later, she calls me. Will Hosea take me back? Now, Hosea stopped coming to my office. I mean, he was there every day knocking on the door. But he stopped coming because he doesn't see it, and he's actually got to go to work. And so I call him up, and Hosea says, I I want my wife back. I want, this is beautiful. This is wonderful. I'm I'm getting to see a miracle. I mean, that's the way I look at it. I mean, that's utter sin there. And uh, she comes back, and she says... uh, Got one problem. And sitting there. By the way, I call up the man and I have her repent to the man that she was with because that's clearing it up. Plus, I got on the phone and gave him the gospel because he needed to hear the gospel. He says, I neither want her nor the gospel. And so we, we did that. And then we sit down and, okay, now let's put this together. And she looks at me and she says, well, we got one problem. I'm pregnant with the other man's child. I think it's over. I see a nuclear bomb going off. And, and that this is over. And I look at Jose and he says, I want my wife back. See, the sex doesn't make him divorce. It's the choice that was made after all of that. And she's now repentant. That's what's good about this, is that we got to see somebody who's repentant. And, and by the way, um, and into about three Christmases ago, and they're still together, and they're happy. They don't live in this area anymore. But what was happening in the Jewish tradition? When Jesus is bringing this up in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, the Jewish tradition had changed it so slightly. Not, not this list of acceptable things for divorce. This list had had gone into non-biblical reasons. It was not just because of sexual sin or some indecency in her. This was the practice of the day, and you can get it from the Mishnah if you ever want to read that. There were physical things. If she had epilepsy, he could divorce her. If she had warts, he could divorce her. Or deafness. Or tetanus, I I mean, all of these things, some physical things that he could divorce her. Now, other, some really important things were like, if she's not baking bread, if she's not grinding flour, if she's not washing the clothes, if she's not cooking the food, if she's not making the bed in the morning. Oh, that's terrible. If it's not done, the wives could be divorced and they could put that on the list. That's what Jesus is fighting about here in the Sermon on the Mount because they had changed it all. They could get divorced for anything. And we see that in verse 32, Matthew chapter 5, verse 32. But I say to you, now we hear the authority of Jesus. I say to you. Jesus calls it these first century leaders out. What in the world are you doing, leaders? His authority as a son of God comes forth here. He's not going to accept those reasons because he then says this reason, men, ladies, this is the only reason except for the reason of unchastity makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. 
That's the divorced woman without the writ of divorce. The exception clause here applies to both the divorce and the remarriage. If divorce for unchastity, then remarriage is not adultery. If you're divorced because of that reason, everyone agrees. Jesus was saying that except for one type of situation, divorce and remarriage are sinful. And it has to be adultery. And, you know, when that word is used in Matthew 19... It's uh, the Greek word would actually be porneia, but it does not mean in that context watching pornography. And by the way, they did have pornography in the first century. They actually had it on their buildings. When we went for uh, a trip to Israel, they had it on their building. What in the world is this? But they had it there. It is an actual act with someone, something else. Please note this. The woman is defiled because she has an unbiblical divorce and remarriage. Her divorce from the first man could not have been biblically acceptable even though it had been formally valid because he gave her this certificate. It's not just the handing of the certificate. It has to be for the reason of indecency. And that's what Jesus is pointing out here. If it had been proper and not sinful, the divorce would have freed her to marry. But she can't. You know, just because you didn't bake the bread, just because you didn't make the bed, doesn't make woman. You agree, ladies? Okay, yeah. If it had been proper and not sinful, the divorce would have freed her to marry the second man, and she's not free to marry the second man. Unchastity is the reason. Unrepentant sexual sin is the reason. That's what should have been understood by the Jews at this point. But you know what? These Pharisees and these Sadducees are making it easy. They're the pragmatic church on the left-hand side here, up, up in the corner. Adultery is a term used to reference to marriage. Sexual sin does not break the marriage bond. It doesn't break the marriage bond. Divorce breaks the marriage bond. Sexual sin is the thing that occasions the divorce. They are not synonymous. Just as an illustration of Hosea. It it doesn't mean that you have to do that even when there is a child going to be born into the family. And by the way, that child when he came looked more like his dad than he did his mother. God does that. God covers things. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, because now Jesus is correcting them, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except for the reason of unchastity makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So Jesus was making it tightening it again. That's exactly what Moses had said. They had changed it. Adultery is a term that is used to marriage. We need to keep that there. Fornication is if you're not married. Please note these first two examples here. When we have gone through the Sermon on the Mount, and I know it's been a while since we've been there, 
Jesus, when he is refuting the things that the scribes and the, and the Pharisees are standing for, always went to something that was in the scriptures. You see that in verse 21. It says there, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. Well, that's actually in the scriptures, and he's speaking of that. Then in verse 27, you shall not commit adultery. We see that also as another command. Here, it's not a command. Here is not a command. This is a regulation that that Moses had given. And he's refuting the practice of that regulation that it wasn't the way Moses had written it. Unchastity. It was supposed to be for uncleanness. And folks, nowhere except for Ezra are the Jews commanded to divorce. Now, this was an everyday practice of the Jewish men. So you say, well, what about the women? Wasn't there equal uh, you know, rights for women here? Women could divorce their husbands. But you had to write a whole thing for the court and had to go before the court, and it was nearly impossible to get it done. If a man had become displeased with his wife, he could send her away. Moses brings pause, though. He's wanting them to think about it. And, and that's what Jesus is doing here. Think about this, men. Really have the right to do this. And why is Jesus doing it? Because he's protecting women. He's protecting women. Men giving this declaration, this certificate, needed to think twice about it. The certificate made it allowable for the woman to marry someone else. And, and in that society, that protects that woman. And they need to be protected. We live a different kind of way here in the United States. It's much different than some other places. Just a footnote, ladies were not permitted to divorce their husband, but they could petition the court. I mentioned that already. Matthew 5, 32. But I say to you, Jesus, Jesus is really laying it on them there. They called the uncleanness by a different interpretation. That's what the Jews began to refute Jesus. They said interpretation here. You're interpreting it very narrowly. And uh, they taught that uh, to cease to like his wife or find any cause, whatever it was, was what that Urwath the bar was. It wasn't about uncleanness. It basically turned out to be a matter of convenience. When we talk about Divorce God's way. There's only two reasons. The unbeliever leaves or because of unchastity. Some kind of sin. Years ago, my friend here from India, he may know of these things, but I was uh, in India. I was up in Pune. And a young lady, probably in her 30s is my guest, came to me and and she said to me, "Uh, Pastor... Uh, I need some help. Can you give me counsel? And I said, fine. We're in the Grace to uh, India office. And, uh, and I'm talking with her, and she says, every day I go home, my father beats me. She's in her 30s. My father beats me, and, and when he's tired, he lets my brother beat me. And I said, why? Because why? I'm, I'm confused. I, don't, I have no idea. Oh, she's in the Hindu family. 
and her Christianity is an offense to the fathers, so he beats her. So brilliant counseling that I always have. I say to her, why don't you go get an apartment? You're making some money at Grace to India. You can go over there and get your own apartment. Sounds good, doesn't it? You could probably give that counsel here in America. Oh, go find a girlfriend and get an apartment. No. She gets an apartment. Everybody, all the men, think she's a prostitute. And they bug her for sexual favors. See, the Middle East was the same kind of thing. A woman going out without having a husband, without having that certificate, she's going to be treated as a prostitute or something like that. Folks, we we have a very narrow understanding of what all the world is. Um, And so let me just encourage you. This was good for the ladies when Moses did that. It was better when Jesus did it because he made it even clearer to keep them from being harassed, hurt, offended, all of those kinds of things. Now, I had mentioned in my email, by the way, if you don't get the email, please send me an email saying you want to be on the email, uh, bshannon at gracechurch.org, and and I can get you on the anchored email. But I got an anonymous, I know who it is, but they want it to remain anonymous. And then so uh, understand that passage is very clear. Only two, well, it only gives the one reason there. The other one is in uh, Firstians. But this is the question. First, he says, uh, what if a married, if, if I am married to a man, this is from a, a lady, what if I am married to a man that I think is committing adultery? I, I mean, I've had women come in my office and say, my husband's looking at the other women in the other car. Can I divorce him? I, I don't laugh, please, I, I don't laugh. I can laugh here, but no, I don't think so. You know, it's uh, adultery is sexual sin, actual sexual sin. But what if he does not come home after work and doesn't show up late in the evening? He has no family in the area, and, and he's not friendly generally, but he tells me he's out visiting friends. Initially, we do not know if he is actually committing adultery. But I got to tell you, I'm not a detective and I'm not wanting to be a detective. But I can tell you this. A wife knows when something is not right. A wife knows when something is not right. I was begging this one lady to stay with her husband. These were two friends of mine, okay? And the woman said, no, you'd have no idea, Bill, what he's like at home. And, and I'm trying to keep them together and trying to keep them together. She's still a friend. She calls me up one day. She says, Bill, go to this motel, go to room, whatever it is. And I did with me, knocked on the door, and here he is with another woman. And then I knew, and we did church discipline on him because that's... If he's repented already once of it, and now he's going back to it, it's like a dog going back to his vomit. And that's exactly what he did. Now, for this one here, initially, I don't know. But I got to tell you, this woman knows. You know why? Because her husband's paying very little attention to her. So he's got to be doing something somewhere else. 
instead of paying attention to her here. So that's the way I, I would answer that. I don't know if you're here today, but um, hopefully you heard that. Any other questions about divorce and remarriage? Um, and you could do this for your cousin, your friend, your, your neighbor, because I know you may not want to do it for yourself. We have one question over here. Ah, very good question. I'm going to repeat it. Uh, besides the civil law and all of that, when does God consider you married? <laughs> uh, I don't know because he doesn't speak to me directly about that. But each state has a different law. I thought California had a, um, um, you live together for um, um, common law marriage. You know, you live together for a certain amount of time, you're then married. You know what? In this state, we don't have that. We don't. I mean, I was trying to help somebody who was 17 years with the same person, and they had come to Christ, and now they're still there. They're wanting to know that. I had to go back to the foreign country where they got married, and that foreign country has common law marriage. So that was a... But no, there is... You have a law of where you are. And so... um, I, it depends upon how long you've been married in some states, not in this state. Um, well, let's look, look at marriage there in the Old Testament. Ruth sleeps at Boaz's feet. Ladies, why don't you just go out and sleep at some man's feet? No, I don't think we can do that. It's not the same thing. It's, it's, um, uh, we're in a totally different culture, and even there, it's done so many different ways that we can't pick out one or the other. I mean, I, I wouldn't want a man to come along and I rip his rib out and say, well, here, marry this woman. But that's what God did. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think that's one of those uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord. Uh, we, have a, we have a question over here. I want to get the mic on it. Oh, okay. Um, if a woman has an affair and he divorces her, and she marries the man she's having an affair with, mm-hmm. obviously she's committing adultery. Right. And then they repent. Well, she, they and then she, the, she and her new husband repent, okay. come to Christ, repent. Actually, this person that I have in mind was professing believer before the affair mm-hmm. and repented after she, her husband left her and she remarried. So when the scripture says that it's an abomination to the Lord and you are causing, mm-hmm. you know, yourself to be an adulterer or whatever that works, um, obviously there's forgiveness in Christ. But can you just speak to that? Like, what does that look like in the eyes of God? Are you perpetually adulterating in this new marriage? No, not a perpetually okay. adulterating. As long as you have a heart that's repentant of what, you're, what you've done. You don't want to now divorce to to particular adultery because now you've sinned again and and you stay with one another you don't go back to your husband for sure uh but you stay with one another in that kind of situation so um uh i think that answers it but yeah they may not have been saved and then they if they're repenting maybe they're coming to christ and and that's you accept them then as new believers that's the way I would handle it rather than, um, uh, at least I would think of, of it that way. Not, it doesn't matter how much they're involved in the church or all of those kinds of things. 
I mean, think about it. How can somebody who's married run off with somebody else? I mean, I just, I don't understand that. Um, I have enough to, to love my wife every single day. Now I've got to love two people? No, thank you. Yeah, so I, I, I'm just a little bit stuck on this one, this one Bible verse. You know, if anyone marries a divorced woman, commits adultery, mm-hmm. I assume that means divorced man as well. Does that mean that that person who's divorced should remain single for the rest of their life? If they got divorced as a believer, okay, and... Um, the other person's a believer. I'm only going to deal with believers because unbelievers are going to do whatever they want to do. But if they're believers, no, they cannot get married. And, and that's what I mean. When I, when I have somebody that says to me, I'm divorced, I want to find out if they have a Christian biblical divorce. If they don't have a Christian biblical divorce, I don't marry them. I'm sorry, I can't, I can't do it. It's impossible. Because to, to, then I would be... Um, and I'll tell you how far I went. When one of the marriages I was doing was uh, a man and a woman in my fellowship group and and they sort of and I asked him he said well yeah I was divorced uh, 15 years ago and I said uh, what happened he says my wife committed adultery I said can I have your wife's phone number not because she lived in Idaho and all of that kind of stuff and I called her up oh yeah I did and and it wasn't his fault I just went with this other guy I, I want to get that cleared because See, as a pastor, it says in uh, Hebrews 13, 17, that I am going to give an account. And if I'm going to give an account, I want to make sure that my accounting is, is, is right with the Lord. That's what I want. So I'm not going to marry anybody. I want to check it out. Tom. Bill, would you elaborate on just um, hardness of heart as relates a per se victim? Because oftentimes what we see in counts unforgiveness which can turn into bitterness, which defiles a man in Hebrews 12. So just hardness of heart from both perspectives, where one wants to divorce a spouse, and also when a spouse has been divorced by the other. He's speaking of Matthew 19, not of Matthew um, 5. And so I need to turn to Matthew 19. Um, Because of the hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. And what that is, is because of their continuing of divorcing, this is before Moses stepped in and said, hey, you need to have this certificate. And it was just a regulation. The hardness of heart, uh, and again, is of that particular individual who can't get along. They, they aren't getting along with them. They're, they're uh, out of the person. Uh, and it's only because of their own wickedness in their own heart. And so, yeah, that, that goes back to the Moses, Moses thing and Jesus speaking to them. It's because of the hardness of your heart. Moses had to step in and write that certificate. All right, I think we have folks uh, sitting, standing outside wanting to get in. And uh, should we let them in? Yeah. Let me close in prayer then. Father, thank you for today. I pray that this clarified some things for folks. And uh, if, uh, Lord, you would just continue to be with us and will us to, to live for you in all things. In your name, amen.